You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Okay, so I, I, there was a big decision this week that they just rolled out. And I got an invitation to go attend this event where TCU was introducing the new football coach. I, I'm going to guess that you did not go. I didn't. I didn't go. <laughs> and I am. I am a TCU fan and a, and a former student, student uh, ticket holder. The whole graduate thing. of the university. Graduate. Uh, mom's a graduate. TCU's uh, sister's graduate. Grandmother's graduate. Yeah, the whole wife's a graduate. The whole in with TCU. I don't like this decision they made. It seems bad. I I don't like it. I don't like it a bit. If you uh, are going to boot somebody to the curb after, would they have 20 years under Gary Patterson? It, something like that. I think his first, I think he was defensive coordinator in 99. Okay, so for crying out loud, they've got a freaking statue of the guy. Of the current coach. The, they, they built the statue while he was still While the he was there. Yeah. He, he did not pass away. He did not leave. He had not retired. He was the current coach, and they built mm-hmm. a statue of this guy. Uh, which I, I I think that's a bad decision. Number one, I don't know. It's a bad like it. Well, the guy's still up kicking around. He could do things that are going to make you have to take that statue down. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and apparently, the list of those things is growing. Uh, the list of those things is growing. <laughs> you know, the, the Joe Paterno statue got taken yeah. down. Yeah, uh, that's a good. So point. I don't like I don't like that decision. I don't like the decision to get rid of him after that. Admittedly, they had a bad year, but I don't like that decision. The guy had put in his time. And if you're going to take any coach that's out there, right, and there's maybe a handful of elite coaches that you ain't going to get at TCU, Mm -hmm. I'm going with Gary Patterson every time. So what do you think the theme there is? Like know the league you're playing? I Know your dating pool? I (laughs) I think TCU didn't. I think they – I think they got a nice, you know, good-looking gal that kind of stick with them for a while, <laughs> a lot longer than normal. Hey, they TCU should have been happy Gary Patterson stayed with them for 20 years. Gary Patterson could have had multiple jobs after 2010, finishing number two in the country, going to the Rose Bowl. He could have had, he could have left. He didn't. I don't. I think it's a bad decision to kick him to the curb, and I think that's what happened. I don't know, but I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. I think the guy has is the winniest coach at TCU. He knows what he's doing. Everybody can have an off year. Yeah, they got a guy who's uh, like four games above five hundred at Podunk schools. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, I'm sure. Hey, Sonny, sure he's a nice guy. I, I'm, I'm sure, sure Sonny he's a nice Dice guy. is a great guy. Okay, um, if you if you line up, give me all the athletic directors in the country, and you're gonna you're gonna line up. You got two guys. You got Sonny Dykes. You got Gary Patterson. I, Who, my guess is offers? people are taking Gary Patterson oh, 10 times, times out of 10. Out of 100. The only reason you would hire Sonny Dykes over Gary Patterson is if you didn't have the money to pay Gary Patterson. Well, that may have been it. I don't know. But he was, you know, TC seems to have a lot of money. I drive by there and they're spending money like a drunken sailor on flowers and buildings. They got <laughs> money. You know, I'm, I'm paying out the ass. For tuition right now <laughs> they got a lot of money from me yeah <laughs> they got money so are you still going to be a season ticket holder 
I, I guess. I don't you know. Can't. At this point, you're, you're so far deep into it. I, it's a sunk cost at this point. I mean, it's a thing I'm doing. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to bail on it just because I don't like this decision to get rid of Gary Patterson. I don't like the decision to hire Sonny Dykes. No. And nothing against the man. I'm sure he's a nice guy. But you can't get rid of, of Gary Patterson saying, hey, this guy's out of touch and slow. We're going to you know, bring in some new blood. Bring in a, a 60-year-old guy from SMU. Do you know what you know what they said was the criteria that <laughs> no. they were looking for? No, I didn't. They, they wanted didn't. better recruiting in the Dallas Fort Worth area. That was that's one of what the top said? three things they said they were looking for. What a load of bullshit! <laughs> like, I can't believe that. Are, uh, are you serious? I can't no, believe. find in the whole country. I don't care. Go to Africa, find somebody. Go to New Zealand, find somebody. Go to go to the Congo. Go wherever go where the good football, good players, football are. players are and athletes are. If you got to go to the Netherlands and find somebody, you're going to limit your scope to Dallas Fort Worth. Not a That's hotbed. what they said in the top three things. I can't think of anything more ridiculous than that when you're hiring a coach. I, it'd be one thing if there was a hot, there, like DFW was a hotbed for players. I think I could name all of the players who have gone and actually had an impact um, or gone to the NFL from DFW. Y- it's yeah. not, it's not, uh, it's not that exactly That was the known. top criteria. Hmm. Well, speaking of really below average football, uh, our guest today is from Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Scott oh, Snyder. Hey, hey sorry, man. Scott. I don't know if you're a Browns fan or hey, not. Hey, Cleveland, we're sorry no, about Johnny Manziel. I'm not sorry. Um, uh, Scott you're not Snyder sorry about that? I'm sorry is, about that. Scott Snyder is a nationally recognized industry leader, growth specialist, and lifetime entrepreneur. Two, um, I, I, I bummed it. I'm trying to move into the thing, and you pull me back. I keep because I'm passionate about this. You're trying to jump to it. Uh, uh, We've introduction been going on for five minutes to, about to football. This, I'm gonna, you know, Scott Snyder, and he's got a lot of stuff to say. But I got a lot of stuff to say about <laughs> coaching decision making. Save it for the next one. What are you thinking? <laughs> Save it for the next one. <laughs> I no, this is what's we're happening just, now, man. We're just on a five minute rant about. I'm on a five-minute rant. I'm on a rant. I, I'm paying $5,000 a year to go watch this football, and they're making decisions like that? It's only $5,000? It's less than six. You used to have six season tickets, too. I, I booted many of them because yeah. I, I wasn't using them all. Yeah. Uh, you were paying for extra seats. I was paying for extra so seats thrilled. for other people so I could go move around the stadium and go hang with people. And I'm like, what am I doing? That's stupid. You wanted to share the joy of TCU football. I did. Yeah. I did. It was. It was. There were some joyless years there. Yeah. Uh, I got to tell you about that. There were some joyless <laughs> years, but I was there, plugging away, and I'm sitting there watching this, you know, pitiful example of football for many years. Now, hey, Gary Patterson though turned it around. They did some good stuff. They were pretty but, pathetic. You know, he's uh, he's going to be. On the market now. He's transitioning. He's exiting. Just like Scott Snyder's going to tell us about today. There, how do you like that transition? God damn how do you like that? I hated it segue. So Did you much. hate that segue? Uh, <laughs> that was better our, than yours. Okay. Our guest today is Scott <laughs> Snyder. Um, he is the vice president of the Exit Planning Institute and operating partner at Snyder Premier Growth. 
Um, Scott started a landscaping company at 17 that was much more successful than the landscaping company I tried to start at 17 because he was actually able to sell that um, at age 24 to a strategic buyer. And then from there, he went, um, joined up with his dad. He kind of like you and me. Uh-huh. Um, his dad's exit planning in M&A firm, Aspire Management. Uh, he took that company, um, grew it. Uh, 10 times in revenue, and then with his dad purchased the Exit Planning Institute, which introduced the value acceleration methodology to help advisors and um, business owners get more out of their company upon exit. Um, His company, the Exit Planning Institute, provides education to advisors um, so that they can help business owners exit their, their business. They created a designation called the SEPA, uh, Certified Exit Planning Advisor. Scott will talk a little bit more about that later today. I got my SEPA. Um, I, d- I know you did. And that's, so that's cool. I, learned, I learned a lot from Scott and his program uh, going through that and, and getting that designation. And I'm excited to learn more from Scott today. So if you're a business owner and you're planning to sell your business, that's a big decision, probably the single biggest decision you're ever going to make other than starting your business. Scott Snyder knows all about that. He's spent his life becoming an expert in that single decision. So you're going to learn a lot. I'm Sanger Smith with Sean Smith. This is Decidedly. Hey, Scott, it's nice to meet uh, someone who I consider myself a, a, a student of, even if not directly. You know what I, I, you said in the, um, in the Certified Exit Planning Advisor course that you started your first company when you were 17. Tell yeah. me more about that. Yeah, I think we like incorporated or something when I was like 17 or 18. I was actually, I think I was like 15. My buddy Mike could drive before me, so he was a year older. And I played soccer a ton when I was a kid, right? So typical, like, academy-style soccer, traveling around the Midwest and the country. And oh, so you were uh, actually good. I played soccer, too, but I was never invited on one of those teams. Yeah, I mean, I, I, feel, I feel like I made, a pretty good, I made a pretty good run, right? I don't know if there's, yeah. like, you know, I wasn't certainly good enough to, like, go play professional in Europe, and that wasn't really my thing anyways. But, yeah, I mean, I, have, I was a janitor for about, like, six months at an all-boys high school cleaning bathrooms after school. And then I was like, dude, this sucks. So I got my dad, I was able to convince my dad to, if I could utilize his lawnmower and Mike to have his dad utilize his Ford Taurus sedan. So this would have been like a 96 Ford Taurus sedan. It was red. And we literally bungee corded the trunk down and called ourselves landscapers. And that's how that started. And then after a couple of years, it got serious. And and uh, by the time I was graduating high school, it was like a, a real deal for sure. So, and then I had an opportunity to sell it when I was like 24 and, and that would have been like 2010. Man, so how did, how did that go when you, when you had the opportunity to sell it? Were you, I mean, I'm assuming um, a lot of people say, well, you, whenever you start your business, you should start with the exit in mind. I cannot imagine that that was on your 15 year old mind when you borrowed. Certainly not on my 15 year old mind, but again, I, I'm probably, uh, you know, my dad, my dad, Chris wrote the book, walking to destiny, all about the value acceleration methodology. My book will probably be something like growing up through value acceleration because the benefit that I had is that my dad 
had always started to plan with the end in mind, right? Because my dad's a certified exit planning advisor. And mm -hmm. so even that was, that would have been two years before we bought the exit planning institute. So that would have been 2010. But remember my dad, Chris became a SEPA in 2008. So that was kind of on his mind and he had his business, his consulting practice, Aspire Management that was helping owners align business, personal financial goals uh, and accelerate the value of their business. So at least I, I knew uh, more so about it than the next guy. But I think dad and I would sit and probably like a, and have a cigar and a, and a cup of coffee or a bourbon and probably laugh about it. Cause I don't know if my dad ever took me too seriously. Right. Cause I was just like a kid with a lawnmower. <laughs> and he's like, I'll probably grow out of that at some point. But, uh, but no, I mean, I, it was, I would say that it's not regretful, but I fell into uh, what I think a lot of owners today, particularly the baby boomer owner, what they fall into is no personal planning they spend a lifetime, right? Like I only spent probably 10 or so years growing that business. But, you know, you can think about a, a baby boomer business owner that started the same way, right? Out of their shed, out of the bedroom, out of a college dorm room, created yeah. this idea and then blasted this thing out over a 30 year, year run and then went to sell it with no personal planning. They're kind of left like, you know, what the heck am I going to do? So you know, I would say that it was, I mean, it was kind of a whirlwind, right? I got an offer in like September of 2009. We closed in two, April of 2010, right before here in Ohio, that busy spring season coming out of winter. And I was on a little bit of a, like a retainer, uh, earnout type situation. And then I kind of, you know, was a kid with a little bit of money and, and trying to figure out what the heck was next. So it was, I would say I would describe it kind of like a whirlwind. But certainly not necessarily a regretful experience. But you know, this was, this brings up a pain point for uh, for for me. I you know like like a lot of guys in in high school. I I mowed yards. I had a business. You know, where me and a buddy of mine that uh, he was sure. he was my business partner because he had a trailer. Uh, and so <laughs> he had a trailer and I had a mower. And so right. we, we were landscapers. And so the, the pain point is that I remember when we rather than doing something smart like you did, Scott. You know, when we left for college. <laughs> We just quit. We just like, all right, adios, everybody. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's fair, though. That's what my, my buddy Mikey that helped me start. I knew, I knew Mike probably since kindergarten. Honestly, I was, like, shocked. We had this, like, really cool thing going. My dad, pretty traditional guy, right, was like, Scott, I wanted to go to horticulture school. And he was like, dude, you're not going to school to study plants. Like, go to a business school. Like, go study. So I went to John Carroll University for a year, which is local, so that I could work. Right, because I didn't want to give up my business, but Mike went down to Ohio University, which is like nearly four hours away. So he, my my right hand guy uh, was gone, and so that was a big kind of pivot point for us too. That that would have been like 2004, where we I had to figure I had to like hire a general manager, and at the time, like right, you're hiring general managers that are like guys my age now, and some like he's like you know I can remember some guys were like, yep, no, I'm not going to work for a, you know, like a 17 year old kid. That's not going to work for me. So, but yeah, like, yeah, I think it's all the kid's childhood dream, right? I mean, it's like the, the typical thing that you learn about in business classes to stay away from too, right? Like no barriers to entry. So you and your buddy could get a trailer, call yourselves, you know, call yourselves landscapers. I mean, hell, we had a Ford Taurus sedan. We had to look like complete idiots pulling up to, to properties, right? Like total hillbillies with like the lawnmower hanging out the back, you know? But yeah, but nonetheless, yeah. yeah it's, uh, I, I had oh, yeah, we, we had no idea. We had no idea what we were doing. We we uh, we were pulling that trailer one time, and it just goes flying off the truck. Been there, man. I've been and there. we looked we in the back. We're like, oh man, the the trailer's following us, but not attached. 
right? I've had that in the main intersection of my hometown. Uh, I had that happen. I could, we could probably have a whole show trading story. We had lawnmowers going to creek beds, lawnmowers going to lakes. We had a guy pin his leg between the lawnmower and a rock. Uh, I cut my, I cut, I had 18 stitches in my thigh because I hit it with a hedge trimmer accidentally. uh, So yeah, I mean, I don't have any of those, uh, funny stories in the exit planning institute business we're in today but you know, a lot more professionalized i guess I, but I think, I think everybody growing up ought to ought to have a business ought to uh whether or be in the service industry ought to, ought to start their own business whether it's painting houses delivering something throwing the you know I, i'm dating yeah, myself cool. but you know throwing the newspaper mowing yards uh or work in the service industry because until you do you don't know what what it's like, you know, you, you oh. need to know, get out there and know what it's like to, to no be doubt. an employee, to run a business, uh, all of those things on both sides of it and know, uh, know, know what hard work is really like, but the, no you doubt. know, smart idea to go ahead and sell it then, you know, to, unlike what, well, yeah, what you gotta I remember, did. right. So we were like, isn't that, that was like recession time too. So we kind of took a hit. So our business was, we, we specialize, if you will, right. We, we called ourselves high image oriented. So we, wanted to work with clients that use their image to sell their product. So you could think about like assisted living facilities, right? You're not going to put your parents in something that looks like hell from the outside, right? Uh, high-end luxury apartment communities where a lot of the professional athletes lived. Uh, we had like the chain of all Marriott hotels in, in, in uh, Northeast Ohio. A lot of wedding venues that outsourced their, their uh, like landscape or horticulture needs. But, you know, when, when the recession kind of hit, people started to pull back their budgets a little bit. I remember my major client wanted me to do it for half the cost. They were paying me maybe 80 grand to take care of this 200 acre property. And they said, Scott, we'd like you to do it for 40 this year. So, you know, the big guys came in and priced me straight out of there, right? Because they're about, they're more about volume where we were more about quality and they could work with better pricing models. So honestly, it was kind of like, it was a great opportunity and it kind of all aligned. And, And I knew early on, like, that I didn't necessarily want to landscape the rest of my life, right? So, I mean, I had foremen that were like 50, 60 years old. They had like two wrist braces on, a back brace, two knee braces, right? It's just kind of a young man's man's business at times, right? So I knew that eventually I wanted to transition. I didn't know it was going to be at 24, but nonetheless, yeah. You know, I I was fascinated to hear more about that because – you you probably know more about exit planning than ninety nine point nine nine percent of the people in the in the world, right? Or of owners, maybe. True. Yeah, and of, of even of business owners. Um, so, was that kind of the catalyst for you to pursue a career in exit planning yourself? Was when once sure. you actually had yep. a personal experience? Yeah, that's a great question. I so after when I had that transition period. My dad had asked me to come into Aspire Management, his consulting firm. He said, hey, help me and at at the time his business partner, Andy, grow this advisory practice. And what I quickly realized is that, you know, I wasn't just married to landscaping. I was married to being an entrepreneur. So whether it was growing Mm -hmm. a consulting firm, now a professional education company, back then a, a landscaping company, I love growing and running a business. And so I came into there and I got to learn more about what my dad did for business owners. And I got to see all kinds of owners, right? landscaping, manufacturing, service industry, tech stuff, all kinds of different types of companies. And I was fascinated by it. And I was almost, I was fascinated, but I was also 
like I don't I don't know if I was like I don't want to say hurt by it, but it was like, dude, a lot of owners are selling their companies for like two hundred million dollars and are and are upset. Like, how is that? Or this guy grew this business for thirty years, and he can't sell it. Like this guy's totally screwed. And I knew at that point that me and my dad really shared a passion for helping owners do what we call now growing more significant companies, right? Ones that are valuable, transferable, uh, and aligned to the business owner's personal business, personal and financial goals. And so it was really during that time. And that's when dad and I said, you know, the exit planning Institute is up for sale. Me and dad wanted to buy something together. And so we thought about flipping our model, taking that value acceleration methodology that you learned at SEPA and saying, instead of running it in Northeast Ohio with our business owner clients, what if we ran it? What if we taught it to advisors? And then those advisors went and taught it to their business owners. Now imagine the impact that we might be able to have. And so yeah. we bought EPI yeah. and we put the exponentially methodology in there. Exponentially increase that impact. And, and that, yeah, that's I would something... think so, right? I mean, we're just like a three at the time. We we're like a three man consulting firm. So how many clients can we really take on right in, in Northeast Ohio? Like we weren't going to go coast to coast or anything like that. But yeah, to your point, exponentially have an impact. I'd like to think, right? I'd like to think that at least we're on our way. You were talking about the value acceleration methodology. And I know Sanger knows a yeah. lot about that as a, as a CEPA as a, certified yeah. exit planning advisor. But I, I don't know anything about it. I know there's different methodologies. And as I talk with business owners, one of the things that I have that, that many of them struggle with is that, you know, when I say, all right, well, what are we looking at in terms of valuation? What do you think you're going to want to sell this business for when you look at the business in the future? Do you have an idea of what you're wanting to get? Many of them have no idea how they're going to value the business. They throw out a number that would cause them to retire or that they would take, but it's, but it's not based on any sort of quantitative methodology. So, right. so how are people deciding, number one, which valuation method to use and how does, how's that working in terms of creating a, a value that could be expected for a, a, a sale? Now, that's a good question, right? We could probably go down a rabbit hole with this one, but I would say, <laughs> you know, I would start at a very high level and say, What's different about our value acceleration methodology is that it takes kind of all three elements of a business owner's life into account. How do I take all these business goals and aspirations that I have? How do, how do I align it with my personal goals and aspirations? And how do I ramp up a personal financial strategy around this thing to kind of make it all really go? And so and this is what you heard me say earlier is that I think a lot of owners have successful companies, right? That at least, you know, from an attractive standpoint, right? They have a, looks like a solid P&L, solid balance sheet, happy people, great process, good culture, good customers. But when they go to sell this thing, they either sell for a discount or sometimes unfortunately can't sell at all. And they're like, well, what the heck? I mean, this was a pretty successful thing I thought I built, but it wasn't significant. And, and so for us, what do you, really no, what do you mean about, by, how do you define yeah. significance? Because that, that's, so in, in our business, we use that in, in, in different ways. Sure. Uh, how are you defining that word significance? Yeah. So to me, a significant company is one that's valuable and transferable, that speaks the value acceleration methodology. And at all times, they have all three elements aligned. They have business goals uh, aligned with personal goals and align with their financial goals. And so whether that owner 
is say 40 years old and kind of still cr creating their company and building their company or 65 or 70 and trying to exit uh, more immediately, they are, they are always ready to take an offer or to pivot or transition if they needed to. So I think that's the real difference between a successful company and a significant one. When you, when you look at valuations, is, is this accelerated methodology, value acceleration methodology, excuse me, is, is there, what is the quantitative methodology used to create the pricing when you're looking at exit? Because that's got to be a key consideration. Is it, it is. you know, some multiples of top line or something like that or multiple profit or, you know, how are you defining that? Yeah, so we would do something that we call an enterprise value assessment or sometimes referred to as a, a triggering event engagement. It's the catalyst for really everything exit planning, in our opinion, and certainly everything value acceleration methodology. It's this, uh, uh, it, it is the tangible meets the intangible. So we're going to, when, when a SEPA goes in that does this type of work and they're looking at valuation of your company, they're going to obviously do the tangible stuff. They're going to recast financials. They're going to look up the benchmarks and metrics. They're going to place it into a range of value. And then I think a lot of the question where valuation kind of stops, the owner gets their valuation and they see, okay, companies have kind of sold for anywhere between, let's call it 10 million and 20 million. And you're sitting at, you know, 12 million. Well, I think the first question the owner has is, well, how the heck do I get to the $20 million valuation? I mean, that's where I want to go. So it's, so then we bring in the intangible side. So we call them the four C's. They're the four intangible capitals that drive about 80% or more of value. So we're gonna look at structural capital, which is all the process, documentation. It could be systems, IT, intellectual property, machinery, all of that stuff that may, optimizes people's time and makes the business go. We're gonna look at the people, so human capital. We're gonna look at social capital, which is your company's culture and kind of internal communication that you guys have. And last but not least, we're gonna look at your customer capital. And a certified exit planning advisor would go in there and do some type of interview with you to rank those on a scale from one to six. What I love about the one to six scale is that there's no middle. So when you kind of feel that you're average, you either have to pick three, which is slightly below average, or four, which is slightly above. And you're kind of assessing your business with the guidance of this advisor you're taking that percent that you get out of there and then placing it into the range of value. So obviously if you have a poor percent, it's likely that you're gonna to trade towards weaker or riskier companies. So you get a smaller multiple. If you have a better score, you're gonna to trade towards best in class companies. And so for us, now it gives us a plan. Most owners, about something like 70% of the companies put on the market today don't sell. So there's obviously work that can be done. They're scoring below average. So the owner goes, okay, well, where, how do I get the higher valuation? And now we could say, well, the owner gets the higher valuation uh, if you do these types of things, right? We got to work on human capital, structural capital, social capital. And we then we haven't even talked about the personal side, right? So just because the business owner has a kind of a ready and attractive business doesn't necessarily mean that they're actually ready to sell because they might not be personally ready to sell. So again, it's this alignment of these all these elements. So, you know, it, it decidedly, one of the things we want to do is defeat bad decision-making and understand how we go about making decisions. So when we look at a business owner who's wanting to sell or thinking about it, they're contemplating it, they're thinking, hey, you know, in the future, I'm, I, I'm getting close to uh, sliding into home base. I, I probably sure. want to sell in the next few years. And I, and I think a lot of business owners begin to think about that. 
maybe three to five years in advance. I don't know. You can tell, tell me if I'm wrong. What are the decisions they have to make ahead of time to be in the best position to decide to sell? What are the decisions they have to make before they make the decision, I guess is what I'm very, asking. Very, no, very good question. I would say it's personal first. So who do you want to be outside of your company? That would be the first decision that you need to make. What does that look like for you? Once we know what that is, right? My, my dad always laughs about it because... So I live on the rural side of Cleveland, uh, like in a little century home, and you know I have a pretty quiet lifestyle, uh, and I would continue my lifestyle honestly. Uh, and so the guy, like, if I were to sell, I need a hell of a lot less more money than the guy that wants to buy a minor league baseball team in the next act of his life. And so, but n neither is bad or, or wrong or, or good or worse. It just is. So who are you outside of your business? So once we decide kind of what that looks like, plus add in things like, do you have kids that need to go to college? Do you have kids getting married? Do you want to buy other companies? Do you, you know, do you have some real estate? What are all the things that you have and, and ambitions and goals and vision that you have for the next act of your life? Then we can calculate something called the wealth gap. So the wealth gap is going to tell us what's our wealth goal, because now the decision's been made about what we want to do. And then we also would know already what kind of value our assets have outside of our business. So that gap then becomes the value of our company. It's likely as a business owner, your largest asset. So say my goal was 20 million. Outside of my business, I have $5 million of value in my assets. Well, that means my wealth gap is probably $15 million. Five plus 15 equals 20. The next question and decision point that we probably then have is, well, what's the value of my company? Is it 15? If it's 15, we can make a decision to sell now. If it's if it's only five, well, now we have we have to drive another $10 million of value into our company to reach our goals, or we need to change our goals. Most owners aren't changing their lifestyles. So now we have to focus on the business and say, okay, how do we get the higher valuation? What does that look like? And that might be a two, three, four, five-year run. And most people in general are not going to make the decision to reduce their lifestyle in retirement. Yeah. Um, right. Or post, post, you know, the next act. Of the, nobody wants the next chapter to be worse than the current chapter. No, not at all. Right? <laughs> so not at all. That's always a challenge. Yeah, no, not at all. I, one th I, I, I totally agree with what you said, that the, the decisions on personal planning have to come first. And it seems to me like a lot of people do it backwards. A lot of people start with um, all of the numbers, uh, you know, um, okay, I'm going to sell the business because either um, it just kind of seems right, sort of, or <laughs> yeah. I'm, about, I'm about that age sure. where I probably should anyway. Sure. Um, and there isn't a whole lot of uh, thoughtful decision making around what life looks like afterwards. There might be some decision making around what the numbers generally need to yep. be, um, but I find that a lot of those a lot of those numbers are are um, it, it kind of numbers for the sake of numbers yeah. in the sense that people might say, well, uh, you know, ten million I think is what I need, <laughs> and it's not because they've done the work to determine the wealth gap and figure out yeah. you know, what they really need that business to sell for in order to do that yeah. next you know, that next phase of their life, it's, uh, you know, 10 million kind of sounds Yeah, it kind good. of sounds right. Like the guy I played golf with the other day <laughs> right. sold for about 10 or 15. So I'm probably as good as that guy, right? So, yeah, I mean, I don't yeah. think there's a heck of a lot of calculation, although I obviously think owners are pretty smart people. So I think they kind of know generally, right? 
but we need to put more meat to the equation. I, I always say, look, talking to an owner, owner's like, look, I don't need to do all this personal planning. And I'm like, dude, we, we hear all the time that we need to stop working on our business and start or stop working in our business and work on it. We need to act more strategically and more yeah. visionary. But there's not a lot of people asking, saying, hey, Scott, like you need to start working on your life and stop living in it. Right. That's not maybe it sounds kind of corny. We don't share a lot. But especially if you're a younger owner, you know, listening in and you're you're maybe 45 or 50 and saying, look, I think I might have an opportunity to sell. Well, what are you going to do for the next 30, 40, 50 years of your life? Right. Well, we probably have to have some type of at least three to five year vision of who we want to be and where do we want to go. My vision goes out, I think, till about I'm 55 or 60 years old right now. And, and I've worked backwards into my plan. You know, I, I worked with um, I've worked with people who have really done this well. Yeah. And people that who have unfortunately not done it um, very well at all and missed a big opportunity. Um, you know, I, I I remember working with or actually kind of we ended up not working together, but in initial discussions with a um, potential client who had a really, really unique business. And, you know, I don't want to describe it sure. too much because it's one of only two in the country like this. But he had found a way to essentially provide a highly sought after service to ultra, ultra, ultra net worth people. I mean, we're talking billion uh, dollar net worth plus right. clients. And that was all he worked for. And he was the guy in the country for this. And when it came time to sell his business, um, you know, I'm talking with him saying, hey, you know, hire us. We can, you know, we can kind of help sure. you get the personal planning done so that you can kind of go through this. He kind of started ignoring my phone calls after a while, and then he met with me. I, f I figured out, he goes, hey, I got a check. And I go, oh, oh, no, like we didn't really talk about this. He comes in, and I said, well, how did it go? You know, how did, the, how did you structure the deal? What happened? No, I just sold all my machinery. Oh, oh, no. Right. So I looked at bummer. the value of what this business could be, and he, he might have gotten 5%. God, what a bummer. Of, of what he really could have walked away with. Yeah. Um, so in your expertise, what do you see as the biggest thing that advisors could do or people or business owners themselves to make those decisions easier? Because if they were so easy, um, we wouldn't all have stories about yeah, people who don't make here, those right? decisions. Yeah. Right? So what what's what do you think's holding people back from making those decisions? So this is a great I mean this is a great question. I and I don't mean to keep going back to it, but I think it's so critical to me, it's personal purpose. So I think too many owners, young and more veteran owners, get kind of trapped into like I was. Like I was Scott Snyder, the landscaper. Like I let my business kind of define who I was. I really didn't have a life really outside of that business. And I think now again, fast forward 20, 30, 40 years of running a company, I think that's a big part of your identity. But that business should be should be driving a more personal purpose for you. And I think that the way in which business owners in particular make good decisions for their business, for the exit of their business, for their families, for themselves, for the people that surround them, is to ask themselves, is this on purpose for me? And I think that if you can ask, is it on purpose for me, and you can match it to a set of core values that you likely have, then we should probably go and do it. I think that it would dictate what type of exit you take. Is it an internal exit, an external exit? Uh, is it a multiple bites of the apple type exit? Uh, it'll determine what kind of value you want. It'll determine what your wealth gap is. And so I think that 
you know, I don't know. I mean, that honestly, me and you might sit here and say that guy that just got, you know, money for his equipment uh, is maybe wrong for taking that type of deal. But on the flip side, maybe it was enough. Maybe it was on purpose for him. I don't know. But I'd be I'd challenge to say that I don't think most people in business or non-business really have investigated and spent time on understanding what their personal purpose is. So I'd say my first kind of decision-making point is, well, is it on purpose for me? Uh, that's why I start first. Yeah. I, I wish that that guy's scenario, um, that it was. Yeah, I mean, it's probably needed. not. Right? <laughs> he, he, in fact, needed yeah, much more exactly. <laughs> in exactly. that sale. Um, but, you know, I we, we talk about this, and this kind of theme comes up a lot um, in the by the nature of the work that Sean and I do. Sure. You know, we've, we're focusing on the values of our clients, just like you are. I, I don't want people to perceive the commentary that we have on this as it being easy or it being silly to not do it because it's so incredibly difficult to consistently put those values at the front of our lives because we could all three of us sit down with a client and and help them figure out what the, what their values are help them figure out you know what they need to do to get there kind of create a picture for that that life and it be entirely useless yeah. if they if we never revisit yeah. it Totally agree. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the most important decision that you, well, actually, what's the most difficult decision that you've had to make as an exit planning advisor? As uh, I would say, as an advisor, I would say, so I would say as a business owner first, I would say, I, I guess if I had to put a, a hat on, I would say I'm a business owner, entrepreneur first. I would say as a business owner, uh, pivoting our company in, 20, in April of 2020. If you think back right to the early part of our pandemic, we are a exit planning institute is a company that provides professional education primarily to professional advisors and back then 100% in in-person formats. So if you can think in eight, basically April. Well, having, go ahead. Yeah, having gone through your program um, this past summer, I can't imagine that basically a year ago it was not that way at all. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy, right? Yeah, so that's impressive. Literally, it's like you manufacture whatever your your thing is, right? I manufacture this glass, and I have a bunch of people that bought this glass, right. but there's no boats, trains, planes, trucks. There's nothing to distribute my product anywhere. And so in April, we said we had like 400 people booked to go to a SEPA program, a Certified Exit Planning Advisor program. And, we, and if you remember, Harvard took everybody out of school. And then we had to cancel mm -hmm. our Georgia State University-based program in March, canceled Cleveland in April, canceled Chicago in May. And so we're looking out two, three months in, in March saying, you know, we have no way to distribute our product. And, you know, obviously customers are starting to say like, well, like I want refunds, what do we do? And we, in 45 days, spent during a pandemic with no source because no one's buying in-person education right because no one can go do anything yeah chris and i spent about 250 to 300 grand taking a risk making a decision to create a create a product an educational program that we could launch virtually so that advisors and frankly owners could come through that program and learn about the value acceleration methodology so i would say one of the biggest decisions i've made in my career uh, has certainly been to take, frankly, that roll of the dice, that risk, right? I'm looking at my dad saying, hey, I mean, I think we need about 300 grand 
to make this happen and we have no revenue coming in and 20 employees to, to, to support. So that was probably the biggest decision I've had to make in my career, for sure. You know, I, I see a lot of hesitancy when I talk to business owners who haven't yet figured out what they want to be on the other side of that business sale. And so I think they end up, you know, and, and I think that's a real mistake because they, they end up hanging on beyond past the useful life of their value to the business many times. And they begin to erode the own, their own value in the business that they intended to sell because it's not growing at the rate that it was sure. when they were fully engaged, when they were, you know, cutting edge on the market and technology and, and they kind of just kind of retire in place. <laughs> So I think yeah. it's, you know, key that, you you know, that they figure that out, what they want to be, as you said, on the personal side. When you think about looking at, you know, for business owners or people who are thinking about selling their business, what would you say are the three maybe tips that you've got to defeat bad decision making? So one, I'd go back to personal purpose. Is it on purpose or is it not? So I think that if, you, if you're a business owner listening and you spent no time on understanding what your purpose on this on this on this world on this you know in life is you should probably start to do that especially if you're nearing a potential exit i think that if you know that and you believe in it it'll help you make the right decisions during this this massive uh, moment in your life which is your transition two i probably say uh the truth is enough i think people make bad decisions because people sugarcoat things they're not giving bad and worse just what it is what it is throw it out there and if we can throw that throw it out there we can make the best decisions so uh, when we talk in terms of price when we talk in terms of lasting legacy we talk in terms of internal external exit like just tell us what's important to you the truth is enough and we'll be able to make better decisions and last I would say slow down to speed up you need to evaluate it you need to understand your goals you need to understand the obstacles and I think this is why you know, I think that one of the things that we kind of teach at the Exit Planning Institute, our company today, is that it takes time to get ready. It takes time to align those three legs of the stool. You got to kind of slow down to speed up. And so to me, it's not about focusing on the point of exit. It's about focusing on the right now. So whether you're, a again, a 30-year-old entrepreneur kind of just starting out in their business or a 65 or 70-year-old entrepreneur looking to more immediately exit, you need to slow down, incorporate this stuff into your business right now so that you're actually prepared when that happens. But I would say those are my my, my big points for, for business owners that relates to value and transition. T- tell me more about the when you say the truth is enough. Tell me more about that. Yeah, sure. I think that, you know, at least I'm, I can imagine sitting around my boardroom table with my, there's four people that accompany me on my executive team. And I think that sometimes, uh, People, I mean, this isn't necessarily related to directly exiting your company, but I might, in my personal scenarios, I would say that when we're having to make tough decisions, people uh, either sugarcoat things uh, or they kind of tell you what you want to hear. Or if it's really bad, they don't really want to talk to you. They don't want to put it all out there. To me, you got to put everything on the table. And if all the things are on the table, good, better, and best, and worse, we have everything out there, we can make way better decisions. So to me, we just call it, we call it the truth is enough. So just tell me what it is, because if I have all the right elements, all the right information, I can make better decisions. If I don't have everything or you happen to leave something out, I'm not going to be able to make a great decision because there's a piece of information that is missing. 
So I think a lot of people tend to share really good information and they tend to, I don't know if sugarcoat, but they tend to kind of, you know, walk around some of the, well, you know, uh, some of the, the poor information. Right. And I don't, I don't think good decisions. I think that might be, I think that might be easier um, for some people based on what their own values right. are. You know, I think that you you and I are probably very similar in that sense where if somebody told me that I was the reason why we had a problem in our business, yeah. I wouldn't take it as – I would be much more – I would be much happier hearing that yeah. than existing with that ignorance, right? right? And I'm not I, – I, 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 it's not going to damage my relationship with that person. Right. Yeah. Um, but other people, that's, that's hard. Right? Well, other people, I think in – other people va- might value relationships more, um, and there's a lot of positives to that. Right. There's a lot of positives that the people who value relationships at the top of their hierarchy have um, over people who are willing to value perhaps excellence or or something other. Well, than I, I think it's an issue of valuing integrity. I mean, I, th- I think what yeah. I'm hearing is that there are a lot of business owners who, you know, whether they're selling a business or you know, people who are selling a house, you know, they, they just only want to talk about the good things and they don't want to sort of reveal art. Here are actually the numbers. I think you're going to get a, a cleaner business deal, a uh, certainly a, a more satisfied buyer who's not going to come back at you. I mean, if you, you can take advantage of somebody uh, and then that deal is not going to go well for you. It, it's just yeah. not. Uh, and so I, I think it's an issue of integrity. Or you're not going to be happy so at the end of the day, right? So, like, we've been talking about this personal planning aspect of the exit planning process. So, if you're not laying everything out there to your advisors as a business owner so they can help you appropriately plan, they're going to start making this strategy for you to exit. And then, unbeknownst to them along the way, they've made a bad decision because you left something out that they need, they kind of needed to know that you were passionate about that or they needed to know that was going to come up. And I think this is a lot of reasons why you see a lot of deals get killed in the due diligence process. So, you know, to me, yeah, I mean, you got to get it all out there, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Like my staff, I don't particularly care if it's good or bad. We need to understand all the information so that we can make the best decisions possible. So we always say the truth is enough. So so as it relates to uh, exit planners who are dealing with clients, dealing with business owners who are looking to sell their business, what would be your advice to them as they deal with business owners so that those advisors can make better decisions along the way during that process? So what would advice be to advisors? Here's a whole other show, man. I would say, (laughs) I would say, I think a lot of advisors treat all owners the same, right? So we're going to go in. Okay. We've learned the value acceleration methodology. And whether I'm 35 years old or whether I'm 65 years old, you're going to say, I learned this methodology. We should take you on this path. It's a strategy, not a plan. It takes time. All of this good stuff. And they're not necessarily meeting the owner where they are. And so, you know, there's a, a, a SEPA that we work with called, his name is Sean Hutchinson, and he talks about this in this way. He said, owners come in really three groups to you. Owners are either in pivoting mode, which is probably the the mode that we want them to be in the most, where they're saying, look, I have this lifestyle company and I'm trying to pivot my mindset into this value creation kind of mindset. And I really want to position my company to sell over the next two to five years. There's people that are triggerers. So people are coming to you asking for information because they're triggered by something. Either they 
positively have a real good deal on the table and they want to take it so they have a shorter time frame or something drastic has happened like a like I was talking to these three sisters that own this uh, kind of like gourmet type high-end grocery store and one of the, the partners one of their sisters passed away who was the visionary and CEO for their company and it killed their company so they have a smaller runway they're triggered by something the last group are just explorers they're just folks exploring hey like I might be interested in this exit planning thing but you know if you're gonna go dump a bunch of information down these people's throats and then try to move them into a value acceleration methodology or mindset they're gonna be like whoa never mind this isn't for me then I would say from the from that mindset you also got to know what generation you're working with you know if, if me and my dad although we're really close business partners friends father son generationally we just think very differently so the baby boomers are the inventors of the 60-hour work week they they are a very passionate uh, a very passionate generation their core value is success and so if you're trying to talk to them it's like hey I can't wait to push you into retirement we'll help you sell their business they're probably like saying I don't want to do that but this is also probably why they don't plan personally because they're so engulfed in or so in their business on the flip side, somebody like a, a millennial, well, we're a generation that earns to spend. So we spend, I'm probably the, our financial advisor's worst nightmare. And we earn to spend. The other thing you got to know uh, about millennials is that we're very ambitious, we're very entre entrepreneurial, but we're not very framed. So now if I'm working with an owner that's younger in a millennial style generation, I might be talking to them about value acceleration as taking your great big plans breaking them down into five-year strategies, one-year strategies, and 90-day sprints to get this alignment. And knowing that you earn to spend, we're going to wrap a personal financial plan in for you as well. So I think that the message, although I think the value acceleration methodology that we teach is universal, I think we're taking it into owners as advisors and teaching it the same way and delivering the same message. And it doesn't land because you're not, you're not thinking about, okay, who's in front of me and what type of owner am I working with? Is it somebody that's 45 and a triggerer? Is it somebody that's 55 and a pivoter? So how does this, you know, how does their age and mindset all match would be my advice to an owner. Again, slowing down to understand, okay, we know all owners need value acceleration, but how am I going to deliver that immediate message to them so that I can have them make some good decisions along the way, have them make a decision to come work with me, and so that I can get them in this value acceleration mindset early enough to create a significant company and have a positive exit. Yeah, I think meeting people where they are is um, it, it's something that you have to actively decide to do every single time. Absolutely. Because it, it, we, we, we want to categorize our own lives. Uh, we want to categorize people. Um, I think especially advisors, that's tempting, right? We meet so many people. That each individual person, we can only know so many people intimately. Right before we have to just stereotype and categorize and put people in boxes. Yeah. So that's a decision we've got to make in every single meeting, every single time to say, hey, where, how am I going to meet Scott where he right. is in his journey as an entrepreneur? Absolutely. Um, I, I learned a lot, Scott. Thanks for joining appreciate us. Appreciate it, yeah. Um, Love hanging out I there. really appreciate it's it. It's a great show. Yeah, where can people find yeah. uh, find you and, and the Exit Planning Yeah, Institute? so uh, two, I think, easy, easy ways. You go to earnsepa.com. SEPA is C-E-P-A, so earnsepa.com. That'll give you everything, exit planning and value acceleration. Or more, maybe even a little bit simpler, 
you just go on LinkedIn, type in Scott Snyder, S-N-I-D-E-R, and you're going to see all kinds of good content that I try to share daily with uh, with everybody in the community and owner, advisor, and everywhere in between. So just type in Scott Snyder and follow me there for all kinds of cool and free content. My takeaway from our conversation with Scott was that personal planning comes first. Um, personal planning comes first in the sense that we've got to decide who we want to be, who we want to become, what we want to do with our lives before we can do any sort of financial planning, any sort of business exit planning, anything like that. Okay, yeah, I mean, you stole, you stole mine. That was the one I was going to use. But the, uh, my takeaway that I wrote it down when he said it because, you know, I, I had heard the phrase... Uh, stop working you know in your business and work on your business and, and but he twisted it and said stop working on your life and start living it and, yeah i love that and i was like and i wrote it down and i may have missed what he said afterwards because i was stopping writing that down because i didn't want to lose it but that was that was my takeaway is to start actively living in your life. thanks for listening to this episode of decidedly i hope you learned something i know i did If you thought our show was five-star worthy, please check us out on iTunes and give us a five-star review. It really helps out a lot, helps people find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. Check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at decidedlypodcast. Until next time, I'm Sanger Smith with Sean Smith. This is Decidedly. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Decidedly Podcast. To be notified when new episodes are released, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, drop us a five-star review because it helps more people defeat bad decision-making right alongside you. For show notes, decision-making insights, more episodes, and links to resources mentioned in this episode, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com. If you'd like us to help you make a decision, leave us a message at decidedlypodcast.com slash make my decision for a chance to have your question featured in an upcoming episode. For more decision-making content, check us out on Instagram or Facebook at Decidedly Podcast. As always, thanks for listening. This is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers who are not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their own opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast was produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.